Welcome to Checking In, a weekly podcast from Hotel Owner, the UK's trusted source of hotel industry news and analysis. Each week we meet a new guest and learn their story, all the highs and lows, triumphs and disasters they've faced and how they got through to the other side. If you like the podcast, make sure to subscribe on whichever podcast platform you listen to. To get more industry insight, head to hotelowner.co.uk and subscribe for unlimited access. If you're interested in sponsoring episodes of the podcast, drop us a line at podcast at hotelowner.co.uk. I'm your host, Lewis Catchpole, and on this episode, I'm joined by Emlyn Brown, Global Senior Vice President of Wellbeing at Accor. We talked all things wellness and wellbeing, how Accor implements its strategy across its wide variety of brands, and the me to we revolution. Emlyn, hi, thanks for sitting with us today. My pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me. Um, so you've got quite a storied and uh, lengthy career in, in hospitality and, and well-being. Um, I was wondering if you could start by kind of just talking us through to your career today. I mean, uh, it's people using the word veteran now, which sounds a bit scary because I think I'm still <laughs> 35 years of age. But yeah, I'm fortunate to have been in the, the industry now, in the hotel industry, about 20 years. Although previous to that, I really started my career within health and well-being within the health club industry with a group called Homes Place, which... For many of you in the UK, we're quite familiar with the sort of first luxury health club uh, element, which has now been overtaken by things like Equinox and, and uh, uh, Third Space, as an example. And prior to that, I worked in education and, and, and coaching with young children in, in parts of London, but then segued into the health club industry. And after about eight years of working in the health clubs, I had my first hotel experience, which was with Burj Al Arab in Dubai. So we really went to the, to the high end and top <laughs> level of, of hoteliers. It was an amazing three years with Jumeirah. Um, was fortunate then to join with Six Senses for, for a number of years, working in both regional and group roles within that, which was a great segue to go into a hotel company that's put such a foundational focus on wellness and well-being and sustainability over the last 25 or 30 years. Um, and then some time on the asset and owner side in the south of France, and then 10 years of consulting, mostly made, based in Asia. In, it was in Bangkok for seven years, in Beijing for three, Middle East for a number of years. So the real sort of itinerant hotel life and, and living in different places in different countries and was then fortunate to come back to Europe. I've now spent five years with Accor overseeing the wellness and well-being strategy for the group and deployment of that uh, with them and uh, it's been a fantastic ride and you know really blessed at the moment to be part of that well-being movement which is really having its moment, its time in the, in the light because of the different changes that are happening with consumers and the way we build and create hotels. Mm. So there's definitely uh, a few points I'd like to touch upon there. You say you started off kind of in education and, and then also health clubs. It's kind of um, an interest in like a health health and well-being, fitness. Has that always been a kind of a part of, of your personality? It's always been a, a passion and a part of my personality. I, I, I came from a sports science and leisure background. I'd always been very active playing sport. I considered having a career in the military until my father sort of pointed out that you know, being told what to do for 30 years is probably not fits my personality. <laughs> um, and um, when I came back to the UK after living living abroad with, with my with my family, studied and pursued that. And so I've really remained within that, that field ever since and in different facets. So from the exercise piece to the more educational and coaching piece to then into the more expanded wellness and well-being spa piece combine that with the ho with the hotel business you know and really when you think about well-being and wellness which we'll come on to in a moment it is now a combination of all those things it's not just the pure spa and massage experience the idea of wellness and well-being within hospitality context is now much broader it's nutrition it's recovery it's exercise and, and movement particularly the fitness experience which is vitally important to a hotel so 
I think that I'm fortunate enough that I've been through a number of different experiences and now bringing it together into a holistic sort of platform um, allowed to, I can draw on those experiences, hopefully to create stronger consumer and commercial success. Mm. It must have been interesting to kind of see each of those indi- individual aspects kind of develop over over time and then now kind of combining them. Mm. Um, you touched upon it as well with the Jumeirah Group and the uh, Burj Al Arab. What, what was that like? You know, it's always kind of deemed as there's like the world's first seven star hotel. Is that yeah, the I epitome mean, of luxury? Yeah, well, I think, you know, at the time I was with Burj Al Arab, was in 2003 to 2006. It was a very, very different Dubai mm. where then, remember. So when I arrived there, it was in my office, which is a quite a fabulous sort of J.R. Ewing, which I'm going to give my age away now, sort of type of office environment, looking down at the sea, and then 18 months later, the palm was built, right? Mm. And there was houses on it. So it gave you an, an idea of the speed of the energy of the sort of commitment being made by uh, Sheikh Mohammed and, his, and the group there to make that happen. And then within the Burj Al Arab itself, there's a very clear mandate to create excellence, to create hospitality excellence. I think everyone has an opinion about maybe the interior design and the look and feel of that, that property, and that's one thing. But, you know, I worked with some, with some incredible hotel people. Luke Delafosse was our GM there. He's the ex-GM of the Ritz from here in, U, in the UK, ex-Creon in Paris. So it gives you an idea of the calibre of individuals that, that we were working with. So for me, as a, as a learning curve, I very clearly arrived pretty pretty sharp and wide as a sort of health club sales-driven uh, person from that industry and was fortunate enough to, to be surrounded by a number of fantastic hotel people who allowed me and exposed me to the ways that that level of hospitality works, you know, and it really was the six-day week, these 14-hour days, 95% on your feet, meeting guests and, and engaging with guests. Um, and I think that, you know, the fundamental lesson you learn is, you know, you really, you've got to be jumping out of bed every day to meet human beings. Mm. And if you're doing that, then I think you can create a great hotel experience. And that was really my experience of working with Burge, the encouragement of that and the environment that we were creating at that time for that service level, you know. Was there kind of like a, a specific situation or, or scenario where that kind of really leaped out to you, kind of the, the, the stark differences between, you know, working with the health clubs and then taking care of guests, and especially on that kind of level of guests that I expect were kind of staying at the hotel? Well, I mean, I, I can maybe give you a little step back from that and say, well, why did I get into the hotel business in the first place? And the, probably the re- well, a number of different reasons why it culminated together, but it was really my engagement with the Four Seasons in Berlin, which is no longer there, unfortunately. It's a fantastic hotel near Gendarmenmarkt. And I didn't usually stay in that level of hotel, but my CEO was in town at, at that time, and he was staying there. So he said, well, come and stay with me. And so we drove up to the hotel. And I remember coming out of the taxi, and basically the, the, the concierge said, Mr. Brown, Mr. Minter, welcome to the Four Seasons. And it completely blew me away. I was like, how, how do you know how my name? We just got out of a taxi. And then the same thing happened when I went to the reception of the hotel. Then I started moving around the hotel. People knew my name. And it really, ate, really sort of ate away at me about how, how do we create this? And we were working in service in the health club business, but we weren't doing it to that level of excellence, that level of sort of, sort of detail. So I rang the Four Seasons and said, would you mind having a chat with me about how you do this? And the GM, wonderful GM, met me for an hour, had a coffee and explained a number of different ways of methodology. That really sort of piqued my interest. I think going into into the into the Burj Al Arab or any lo- ultra luxury hotel environment, the commitment to that, commitment to process, right? The commitment to engagement with your team, your colleagues, your sort of the absolute tangible in hospitality is, is people, right? How they're trained, how they're rehearsing, how they're thinking about exceeding expectation or going further beyond. You know, it's a skill set. It's an absolute commitment, and you can you can teach it, but you also have to have it, right? And mm-hmm. the combination of teaching and having within the colleagues that we had there, 
I think the second thing, you know, um, it, it was a different world because, you know, the absolute commitment to, to certain elements that I didn't really understand at the time. I remember Luke, you know, making a massive commitment to floristry, which for me was like, mm, okay, that doesn't, that doesn't understand why we're paying such incredible amounts of money for floristry. Now within hotel business, it actually makes or breaks for me a hotel. Right when I walk into that, if I think about the, four, the George Sank Four Seasons in Paris, there's incredible blue-rooted displays, all displays at Beaux Arts. So a lot of things like that. That sort of makes any sense. Um, but I think the final piece was, you know, really being out and about. You know, I think the the, the the hotel at that time in any great luxury hotel, you're seeing your colleagues and your XCOM team on the floor, meeting guests, managing by walking around, but to this sort of like heightened sort of level. And I think that's the sort of foundation that I, I was given and, and still hold to hopefully to this day. Mm. Um, uh, you've touched on it a little bit there as well, but I'm going to give a bit of a tough task now in, in asking if if you could kind of sum up what well-being, a successful well-being kind of strategy or journey means to you in, in <clears throat> today's context in the hotels, what, what, what would you kind of give to that? Well, let's, let's, let's start with a conversation with what is wellness and what is well-being, right? And so, you know, when we started with Accor, we were looking at improving the strategic direction of that. Now, we, within Accor, we've been having sort of leadership within wellness and well-being for a number of years. And so I was standing on the shoulders of those individuals that, that came on board, actually an old colleague of mine, Andrew Gibson. But when we arrived, we were in, embracing a lot of new brands, right? So Accor was known for acceleration of new brand and purchasing new brands. We're now about 44 brands across lifestyle, all the way down to our eco level. So being able to navigate that was naturally a, a, an initial challenge, right? So wellness. Wellness is actions. They're the things you do in order to move towards a state of well-being. Okay, and well-being in general terms for me is a sort of state of spiritual, emotional, physical mental health and wellness, well-being, right? It's a moment that you can achieve at various stages. You can stay in that state for a number of periods of time. You can drop out of that state. Wellness is your nutrition. It's your movement. It's your approach to 10,000 steps. It's all the little things that you do to then culminate to create a, a well-being for yourself, right? And that could be from meditational practice to paleo diet to doing mud runners to doing triathlons, whatever sort of floats your boat to a certain degree, Okay. So that's how we define it within that. Within the context of hospitality or hotels, we're in a very, very unique place to support the overall emotional, spiritual, physical well-being of our guests. In fact, that is the primary mandate of a hotel, if you think about it in its real basic terms. At the same time, you know, within the environment we have, from sleep to nutrition to fitness to spa to outdoor movement, it's all there, right? We're doing that. Anyway, what we're now seeing is, from a consumer's point of view, is a massive demand, an accelerated demand for them to be, how should we say, improving and also supporting and maintaining their specific and particular ways of doing wellness to well-being while on property. And that's across the entire gamut of brands and, and consumers. So within Accor, we realize that 80% of our guests across all brands, all demographics, whatever country it is, are taking a daily step every day to improve their health and well-being. So our responsibility is to meet that need, to help support that need and journey. And you can do it through many, many different ways. And what we're seeing that is how that's being done within eco, within lifestyle, within mid-scale, and also within luxury. And I think that 
the change that's happening, I think, is the expectation and delivery of, of wellness and well-being, not just within the luxury and ultra-luxury aim. You know, it's not just a one percenter aspiration or ultra-luxury brand element. It's now washing down all the way through the different brand segments based on this massive consumer demand. Hmm. And as you said there, like, you know, it ranges from nutrition to, you know, people's sleep. Obviously, that encompasses quite a different, uh, quite a few different parts of, of the hotel and the hotel team. What's it like trying to have an impact on that when it is so many different departments? No, I think that, you know, sometimes we can overcomplicate wellness, right? And we can think about number one. And then number two, I think we're also getting a little bit too obsessed with what's new, right? And well-being isn't new. Well-being is thousands of years old. Uh, if you think about Ayurvedic practice or TCM practice or, you know, why do we invent fire to cook food? Was well, actually to digest it better and have better well-being, right? So we've constantly been looking to improve our health and well-being for thousands of years. This is not, not a new thing. In terms of the strategic approach or how you approach that, you know, within Accor, we very much made a, um, a commitment to say we're about fads. We're about fundamentals, not fads. Let's tell that one wrong way around, right? We're about fundamentals, not fads. And the fundamentals you can break down probably into three primary areas. Do we encourage and get people to move their body? Are we able to feed ourselves and create nutritional elements through food and beverage delivery? Are you able to encourage recovery primarily through active sleep? Okay, so you think about those three fundamental basics. That's the basic hotel experience, right? What you do and deliver within that, within your brand, within your segment, within your location, whether it's resort or urban, is a naturally a, a decision-making process. But they're the fundamentals. Laid onto that within our strategy, we then have how do we approach digital, right? And looking to encourage what we call responsible digital use, because obviously a lot of well-being can be delivered through a digital delivery, through television, through app, through partnership, whatever it would be, or content. We're looking at how we design our hotels to create more a holistic well-being experience. And then within our context, we normally have spa locations. So the question is not, do we have a spa? How do we leverage that spa to create additional ROI success, guest satisfaction? And that's really our six pillars of well-being that we use. And we use those to deploy them across all of our brands. Because the fundamentals of wellness don't change. What does change is your demographic, your consumer, your location, right, the type of brand that you are. And you also want to create some differentiation between brand, particularly when you're going from luxury to lifestyle to premiums, different segments, different consumer, different guest. So what we look to do is then turn the volume up or down in each of those different segments. Let's say for our Pullman brand, we created essentially a boutique fitness concept called, called Pullman Power Fit, which was reflective of your Barry's Boot Camp, Soul Cycle, F45, and bringing a very modern exercise experience to, to that brand because that younger consumer dynamic on the road, urban sort of warrior and, and corporate person wants great fitness. Yeah. Within the Raffles brand, it's a much more nuanced conversation about the use of spa, the use of nutrition, but particularly also the use of design because we brought in a, a fantastic program called Second Nature, which is a combination and documentation to support the entire process of design of a hotel and how can we support well-being and create comfort at every single touch point and also the combination of our values of biophilia so being plants and living elements into the hotel and feng shui practice which then reflects back to our eastern values so that's what sort of two two examples of you know how you differentiate but for me i think the advice for anybody creating a strategy or a well-being idea for their property or for their group or for their individual hotel is think about your fundamental 
Think about where your primary areas of delivery are, which is probably going to be your in-room and sleep recovery. It's absolutely going to be your fitness and movement element, both indoor and outdoor. And then the biggest piece for us as an industry is the nutrition piece, is the food and beverage piece. And, you know, we are embracing that. There's a long way to go with our industry on the, on the nutritional side of things, but it's a massive opportunity. Right? We can probably touch on that a little bit later on, mm. the reasons why. What? are the practicalities of overseeing something like that you just mentioned all the different um segments and and whatnot how would you oversee that practically how big is your team how like what the day-to-day running what's that like we're, well we're, we're a lean and, and nimble team because we have such incredible operators out in the field and i think that if you're working within a within a corporate landscape what you're doing is creating the opportunity to empower people uh, in order to deliver these types of elements right number one and number two, we're a very, very large company, okay? So it's much more about creating, how should we say, the momentum and creating the direction and then giving the flexibility to a certain degree for people to move in that direction within a certain power frame or, or bandwidth, right? I think within hotels, if you tell people to go somewhere specific, they'll always try and not go there. Give them a sort of bandwidth to hit, they'll definitely hit it, right? That's Because you have to allow that because we have incredible spa leadership, we have incredible hotel leadership, we have incredible... Uh, senior leadership in the field in regional locations. So providing the tools, the direction, the education. The first thing that we did within ACOR in my first two years was what we called creating the idea of wellness being a company imperative, right? And that was delivered by educating people about what we call the ROI of wellness, which is a constant question, right? So what am I getting back in my return? What's my ROI? What's my IRR? And once we did the research and presented that research to people, and then the phase two was, let's now go into the more detail about what we're going to deliver per brand, right? But if you're on a larger scale group, you've got to inspire and educate so people understand it because wellness is a really complicated field, even though to me it's not. But I've been doing it for so long, it's like 10,000 hours, right? <laughs> um, but for other people it isn't. And so for that, and that educates not only our hotel teams, but particularly our ownership, Right when you're looking at making the right investment, the right calls, the, the right places to, to do things. And then that moved on to broader conversations about well-being. So our Health to Wealth podcast, uh, our Health to Wealth white paper, which was released at the, at the beginning of last year, is a really a massive narrative piece and discussion piece about where's well-being go- we're going and why is it important. So it's a combination of things of direction, of giving people the empowerment to do things, to localize, because that's really important for the guest experience, and also education and continual education that happens, which is great for our industry and also great for us internally. You know, we want, we want to be a very magnanimous company when it comes to well-being. We want to be sharing information because I think it just is for the benefit of society and our guests, you know. Mm. What would you say is kind of the biggest challenge to the your wellness and well-being strategy at currently? Is it kind of uh, outside forces and the economy in general or is it or is it the application of you say getting these implemented across across all those brands i think it's probably th- three or four challenges they're not just challenges i think for say for Accor, but they're just challenges in, mm. in 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 general i think that you've got very very strong acceptance at at, at i say c-suite and senior management level of the understanding and the power of well-being and also within brand leadership you also got significant consumer um, demand for these types of services. And it's only going to accelerate when a younger consumer comes into, particularly the luxury segment and, and landscape. What we have, and not I'm trying to present into general terms, is you know, hotels have moved from being places of sleep to being places of living. And that's a significant change. 
but we spent maybe a couple of hundred years creating places of sleep, all right? And so that, let's call it industrial complex of how we operate hotels to be places to sleep, to move to become places of living, is a process we're now going through, right? I think that's one thing because it changes a number of different things. It changes how you think about design, about development, about operations, about leadership, and, and so on and so forth, right? Now, we've made a massive commitment to that on two fronts, both with Sebastian Bazan's very clear conversation about, you know, we're building hotels for locals, we're building hotels for, for living, right? Sleep is still fantastically important, okay? Um, so that's a, that's a change. That means, I think, a different structure of, of manning, of levels of, of how you want to approach the things. Not fundamental changes, but changes, right? So that's a, that's a barrier to a certain degree. I think, secondly, you know, as an industry, the spa industry, um, you know, has needs to find a place that's, that's just not an amenity to the hotel room experience. It has to be a standalone business, and we've definitely made moves in that direction. And that becomes a much more important piece uh, of, of the hotel experience and guest experience, right? When you're looking at the power of well-being from our ROI paper, it's clear that things like click-through, aspiration, guest satisfaction, length of stay, suite reservation booking propensity, you know, that is driven by, or that segment is is very important uh, from a wellness point, point of view. So those guests are important to us and that education piece needs to happen. That's definitely dropping in. The third piece I think is the idea we mentioned before about, let's talk about not what's new, so what's good, right? And we have a, there's a tendency now in the industry to jump into complex ideas or, or thought processes, um, but you always need to go back to fundamentals, right? Um, car consumers want those and I think that you know if you're looking at the challenges there is always pulling people back to fundamental right nutritional delivery movement delivery your spa delivery and so on um, you know, for example at the moment there's a lot of talk and conversations about you know jumping into longevity which is going to be a major piece for us and a major piece for any any company right and using medical tech again a fantastic and interesting piece of development right from cryotherapy to HBOT to IV therapy to infrared these are all wonderful tools they really do work but 85% of your well-being is going to come through movement nutrition and recovery mm. all right so if you keep on moving in that 85% and you're doing that really well, you're really hitting a lot of guests and consumers, right? Um, I think then finally, we will have and continue to have uh, the need to attract new people to our industry. That's becoming incredibly difficult for, for a number of different people. So I think the challenge there is how do we encourage people to join our industry, not just spa and well-being, but certainly the hotel industry as a, as a context. I'm sure many of guests have spoken about those challenges. So the opportunity is the embracement of more technology, which then can replace certain skill sets and really putting your people to work where they can have the maximum impact on, on our guests. And so those sort of four things, I think, are, are challenges. They're not insurmountable and everyone's moving in that direction, but they certainly do create a barrier that needs to be addressed, you know? Mm. Just touching on that last point, um, with the difficulty of recruitment, we actually uh, covered a story uh, this morning for Hotel Owner, which was um, UKH uh, was kind of welcoming the figures that apparently there's 35,000 less vacancies in hospitality, which is obviously great news for everyone. Yeah. Have you seen a slight improvement in, in the kind of well-being recruitment and in, in that aspect, or is it maybe a, a bit slower kind of to catch up? No, we, we are seeing that that change, and we are seeing that improvement. I think that, you know, really, when you've got such expansion of hotels and not now a more expansion of spa, where you're really going to find the pinch point is going to be through therapy, 
right? Mm. So let's say, let's say in our front office, our reception reservation and our spa leadership, um, I think there's, there's talent coming into that business. I think the way you're going to find the challenge is really on the, on the human therapy, massage delivery. And that can be achieved, that can be solved in a, in a number of different ways. Certainly in the embracement of tech and what we call touchless driven treatments will be one way of doing that. But I think that there's a general, there's a broader conversation about that in the fact that, you know, I think that we're undervaluing some of our therapy delivery, right? Both in terms of how we're charging for it and the price point for it, but also the remuneration and the packages that those individuals have, right? And so it's a, it's a hard conversation to get across, but as AI and tech comes into that space, and that will probably take away your, your lower-end, lower-priced delivery elements, there's an opportunity then, to, I think, to increase price and really put the stronger value on what a massage for two hours actually costs and, and is valued at, right? Um, and I think that's going to be an opportunity. With that will come probably more attraction for the industry and people to stay longer. When they really become professionals within therapy and therapist delivery and our consumers really start to understand that the value for that is probably a little bit higher than it, we're paying for it right now you know mm. um just moving on to maybe some of our listeners who are looking to introduce more of a focus on well-being and, uh, and wellness into their into their offering um what advice would you give to those maybe smaller operators mm. that are looking to do that and maybe if some of them view kind of maybe design or the, the property itself is a barrier, how they can kind of get around it? Probably three areas. I think that, again, if I was looking at small individual operators or primary operators, depending on different markets, all different markets, it could be city-based, urban-based, it could be resort experiences. Let's say in general, where would you put your sort of investment? Where would you put your, your time? The nutrition piece, your food and beverage delivery. We're seeing a significant shift in how consumers eat mm. and drink. Right, uh, the drinking piece, which the next ten years is going to be a massive landscape shift, in my opinion, towards no alcohol, low alcohol. Right, the consumption of alcohol in the younger generation is going to have a massive impact on food and beverage. So preparing for it now would be interesting, and actually delivering it, no, no low, 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 what it's going to be, protein shakes, how it's going to be, would actually be attractive. Right, so if you can walk into a property and get that level of food and beverage, nutritional food and beverage, that for me, I think for many consumers would be great. So focus on that area. Right, whether you're in a, an urban location or in a, in a resort location. And same with the food delivery. I think people you know, are eating breakfast and lunch in a different way than they are eating dinner. Right? I think you want, you're looking for highly nutritious or dietary-supported dietary breakfast and lunch experiences and you're more willing to splurge and enjoy your, your, evening, your evening meal in a hotel. Right? I think that's a shift. It's not something I've actually put massive research into. It's more my sort of feeling about where, where we're going. But the trend will happen. So food and beverage delivery, I think, is really important. Also because, you know, going more plant-based and, and so on is a sustainability priority. You know, we, we've, we've got to address food waste in our industry, which we're doing from Accor, absolutely, in terms of our next phase of our sustainable uh, charge, for want of a better word. Um, and at the same time, you know, doing that with, with, with the beverage side of things, right? Second piece is fitness and movement. You know, if you think about wanting to hit the broadest group of consumers, um, then really creating an incredible exercise experience, whether that's an indoor one or it's an outdoor one, right, whatever it would be, is your primary area of, of hitting a large consumer base. Because what we're seeing is a massive acceleration of health club membership for a generation under 30, 35 years of age. Being a member of a club is an absolute norm. It's not some sort of standout right, anymore. It's which club you're a member of and maybe a member of two or three clubs, right? It's the new nightclub. 
right? It's where people go to socialize, to engage, to date and do different things and meet people, right? So the social interaction piece is vital. If you can recreate that within your fitness design, right, um, to accelerate that for look and feel, ID, lighting, equipment selection, to match and mirror that, you'll become more attractive. You know, I speak to a number of guests and consumers and say, I'm booking my urban hotel based on where I can work out. Mm. And that'll become much more the norm. I think also in a cost-effective way of delivering certain things, we're seeing a big resurgence right now. It's probably more for resort locations than anything else. And what we call social bathing, right? So you're seeing all the guys on Instagram jumping in cold plunges, whether it's to your taste or not, I don't know, <laughs> right? Or then doing super hot sauna experiences or doing banner experiences, you know, like here in London's number one banner. That is a, a movement that will not go away. Why? Because I think that um, bathing of some form is a universal wellness language. It's been around for thousands of years. Every culture has a form of bathing. Even we Brits down in Bath, which is brought to us by the Romans, or the mm. Victorian times of wheeling out the truck into the Brighton Sea and jumping, jumping into it, the truck, the, the sort of car into the sea. So we're seeing a massive resurgence about that, which is A, because it's highly effective, B, because it's democratic, C, because the price point is good, and D, because a younger generation wants to find ways to socialize, right? And so you're seeing a lot of concepts around that, and they're really quite cost-effective ways of delivering wellness and well-being. You're even seeing now on, on many beaches from Cornwall to Brighton to whatever it would be, you know, pop-up saunas coming along where you go, go into the sauna and then you go into, into the sea. I think it's quite exciting. Those three areas are ways I think you can really tackle wellness and well-being in a very democratic and a very effective way, you mm. know. Um, yeah, if that's any answer to you. I think one of the most interesting things about those answers are, and you touched upon it there again on, the, on that last answer as well, is how there's such a big shift to all of those points being socially focused. Yeah. I think traditionally when you think of, you know, well-being, wellness, it, they're quite individual or solo aspects, you know, the traditional spa kind of retreat, you may go as a group, but you're receiving your treatments, you're mm. maybe you're relaxing together, but it's quite an individual thing. I think all of those have very strong social aspects. Do you think that's only going to increase as, as time goes on? And also, do you think a wider proportion of them of the customers are going to be adopting that as well, not just the younger generation. There is a movement for, for let's call it from me to we, is how mm. we call it in ACOR, right? So yes, spa and wellness is always a me activity. Am I getting well? You know, is it, you know, am I feeling better? Am I doing an individual spa treatment, right? Um, the we part now is driven by, I think, a younger generation, but also, you know, it's again, what's old is now new, right? So if you talk about bathing culture, when I lived in Central Europe for many years, in Germany for many years, that's very, very normal from mm. 75 years old, old to seven years of age, right? When I mean, you go bathing, you use sauna and everything else. So I think it's in the UK, it's more of a adoption about that because it really wasn't part of our culture <laughs> to a certain degree. And now it's, it's much more open, right? Um, but I do think there's a movement for me, for, let's call it me to we. People want to have social engagement, you know, we talk about this loneliness epidemic that's going on. People feel very isolated, are driven by a number of different factors. And doing a social activity with friends, with colleagues, with, with, within bathing, for example, is what we're doing. Exercise is the same. Yoga movement is the same, right? Um, and there's many great ways you're seeing it. I was just in Canada, as I mentioned before, when I came in, in, in Toronto. And I went to a, a bathing concept. Essentially, it's a Nordic bathing concept where you do very hot sauna, very cold plunge, and you have a thing called alpha course, which is like a ceremony inside the sauna to increase the heat and use different aromas. 
Um, and I've been looking to go to this concert for a while. And there was 45 people in there at three o'clock on a Friday. You know, it's starting to build up to the weekend, so I get it, right? All enjoying this experience of many different Asian demographics. And what was interesting was it wasn't silent. I mean, people were sat in the sort of chatting, talking about their day, their work week. So you're going to see a, a big shift in this. You know, the, 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 there is a still a place for the individual and, and a great place for the individual to um, assume and do practices. But this idea of socialising is probably the biggest change that's happening right now. And it, it will not go away because society is seeking ways to socialise in, in safe ways, right? And I think we can provide that in, in many different forms. Mm. Um, so moving forward, what kind of um, things have you got going on at Core that are quite excited for in, in the upcoming year? It could be not necessarily, you know, strategies got in place, but opportunities, like you mm. said, with nutrition. Um, is there anything that, you know, you're, you're really looking forward to this year? There's a lot. There's a whole podcast we can be doing <laughs> about that. But then let's, let's maybe talk about some things that are, that are locally referenced. As you may be aware, we've recently opened our raffles old war office. It's uh, an, another massive statement hotel within the London market. London's a super acceleration of luxury in the market. It's really fantastic to see. I think London, for me, is the capital of luxury hotels now globally. And I think that's a great thing. OWO adds another level to that. Within that, the, the team from Raffles, the operational team, myself, Philip LeBerth, MD, Robert, our, our spa director there of program, I think what I see has been a great future of how we approach luxury delivery. Three points for that is it's member-driven. So we want to bring in a membership experience to complement the hotel guest, right, which is important from a, from a revenue point of view, but also from an experience point of view because people want to work out where people work out, right? Secondly, fantastic partnership with Pillar, Harry Jamieson, Sunday Times fitness correspondent, and a number of other leading experts have created a membership experience that is super defined, right, in terms of lifestyle consultation. We have a sports psychologist to help you get through to achieve your goals. There's 3GB uh, capped athletes who are doing our personal training. So very high quality of camera caliber of individuals and people supporting that, those, those guests. Price point's not for everybody, very clearly, um, but you're getting that a lot of, a lot of support. What I also love about that is the recently opened Pillar Cafe, which is a testament, which is done by Jason Atherton, Michelin star chef, really, really well known in London, who's now moved to the plant-based side, right? Mm -hmm. So he's got a whole plant-based delivery within a luxury hotel. And if it meant five years ago, that wouldn't even be a conversation to have something that's more plant-based nutrition, really getting our shakes and, the, and, and our elements for our members, for our guests to get high, you know, highly uh, thought about macronutrients within food. That's exciting. That's, that's one piece in the, in the luxury landscape. And the Raffles operational team and the local operational team are doing a fantastic job to, to move that, that forward. Secondly, on, on our, so let's call it social bathing, a little bit of an insight into one. We, we've got a, a wonderful hotel with Fairmont in, in Lake Louise, which is up in the Rocky Mountains. Uh, we'll be launching and probably give you more information soon about an incredible bathing experience we're building there within the property, which I think without sounding too arrogant, I think we'll become a real icon within that sort of thermal bathing space. That's super exciting for us. Um, I think on the third side, you know, we've got some great Fairmonts opening here within within London, you know, off the back of obviously our support for the Savoy, management of the Savoy, sorry, and also the Windsor Fairmont, which has got a fantastic destination, well-being location. There's more to come. The, the mayor is coming to Manchester. That's going to be a club-based concept, really tapping into some of the elements we talked about before of health club, incredible fitness, incredible nutrition, and supported finally by some great tech. The things like the hyperbaric oxygen, the recovery pieces of tech from Normatech and so on, cryotherapy, because that's really an expectation now at that level of, of club membership. Um, 
And I suppose they're the, they're the, my three biggest highlights mm. within, within, within the group for this sort of year. And more to come on Lake Louise. Later. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that, but I've done it now. <laughs> so it's, it's sort of done. It's the cat's out of the bag. Um, and, you know, I think that being able, I think, fourthly, to see the, the movement that needs to happen within food and beverage in order to bring plant centre of the plate, right, uh, in, in order for that to happen. It's been demanded by consumers. It's demanded by our sustain, sustainability and necessity, Right in terms of reducing food waste and looking at those elements of that, I know that Brunfasson, our, our, our head of, so, of CSR, has made that her massive drive. And I think it's a really important one that all of the industry should be embracing, not just within Accor but across the group. And the benefit is you're then tapping into consumer demand at the same time as helping to support and save the planet. So that, that's probably the fourth thing I'm, I'm excited to see developing over the next sort of two years. Great. So Emlyn, I think we've uh, covered quite a few topics there um, for. Our most recent couple of episodes, we've been asking um, our guests from the previous episode to ask, leave a question for yourself to answer. And um, in this occasion, it was from Mark Robeson, the CEO of Clink Hostels. And he asked, uh, do you think 2024 will be a better year than 2023? And we can apply this to well-being or if you want to talk about the industry in general. I think 2024 for well-being will be a fantastic year. Um, I think that we're going to see some incredible things coming online and the continuation of the embracement of wellness and well-being uh, within our consumers and the demand for that, driving more excellence, more experience, more brands, more ideas, more concepts. So, yeah, I think that's a re really exciting time. Um, and then I think from 2024 in terms of, you know, uh, uh, other opportunities, I think there's some fantastic hotels coming online. There's some wonderful new initiatives coming to happen. So, yeah, I see it as being a buoyant year. Um, I think that it would be remiss of me to talk, talk about the sort of commercial dynamics of what we face. Obviously, in 2023, significant uplift in occupancies, in, in rates and so on. Um, and I think that will continue to a certain degree in 2024. But, you know, geopolitically, I'm no expert on that, so let's not get too off on a tangent. Um, there's some headwind coming, there's some elections coming, and there's some things happening in different parts of the world that might create some barrier to that. But no, I, we in ACOR and I remain exceptionally positive and buoyant for our industry um, and what we're seeing in terms of openings and demand from consumers. I think that the biggest impact we can talk about is this shift, I think, for consumers towards spending in, in luxury on experiences and nothing more experiential than a hotel experience, mm -hmm. right? So I think we're in a fantastic place in a very blessed industry. Mm -hmm. Good. Well, hopefully that makes good listening for our, for our listeners. Mm -hmm. um, I was wondering if you have a question yourself for our, for our next guest. Yeah, I'd like to ask a little, I'll try and ask a question, to do it in the right way. But we've really done a lot of tried and tested ways of re recruiting talent. We talked about talent before, the talent gap, and it's maybe being filled to a certain degree. But maybe the next guest can talk about his, his or her ideas about really out-of-the-box ways that we can recruit talent and how we can actually maintain and keep talent in our industry and sort of any thoughts they have about that. Mm, perfect. I think that'll make a, a great question. Well, Emlyn, thanks so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure. Pleasure's all mine. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Checking In, a weekly podcast from Hotel Owner, the UK's trusted source of hotel industry news and analysis. If you like the podcast, make sure to subscribe on whichever podcast platform you listen to. To get more industry insight, head to hotelowner.co.uk and subscribe for unlimited access. If you're interested in sponsoring episodes of the podcast, drop us a line at podcast at hotelowner.co.uk.